Rod Day, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thanks, Mark. You're not far away from retirement. Looking back at 40 years as a general practitioner, what's the thing that stands out to you? Well, it's firstly, it's sort of 40 years in, in Gympie, and, um, but I, I was uh, working for a few years prior to that um, in Biggenden. Um, the thing that stands out, I think, is that it's gone so, so fast. And, uh, and when I, you know, I've started to sort of think back now because um, I'm coming to the end and it uh, doesn't seem like it's uh, you know been all that long at all but when you think back and you in you you know go back to the time you know when I started and uh, and when I um, you know just when we were married and that I realize a lot of times gone by because um, in that time we've had our family and um, and the like but medicines um, you go eat to, to work each day and um, before long, um, you know, a year's gone by, and then before long that, uh, a decade's gone by. So, but it, the thing that stands out is that I've enjoyed it um, immensely the, um, the whole time. Is it the people? It's definitely the people, yeah. Um, the people, the environment. Um, you know, I like um, working with, um, you know, our group of staff and, uh, and the nurses and the, and the other doctors, so um, that's been important as well. So it is the people. Is it hard to be finally pulling the bales and ending your career and walking away from it? It was something I struggled with for probably a number of years and I realised it was a time to sort of change my direction because um, I was finding that um, you know the hours were sort of getting to me a little bit. So I started thinking about it about um, a couple of years ago and um, then as it's come closer I've sort of said well when do I do this when do I pull the plug when I finally decided and then announced it to people I've relaxed into that and uh, and now I'm actually quite looking forward to the idea of uh, life after medicine so what does that bring you life after medicine absolutely um a little bit of uncertainty um mark because um the thing about medicine, uh, especially when I started, is that you know it it wasn't just a career; it was sort of a lifestyle. So I mean, the last 40, 45 years has really been you know medicine uh, almost exclusively. So um, what I'm looking forward to is freedom to actually decide um, what I what other things I can do. I do have certain interests um, that I'm keen to pursue. Um, like, you know, uh, get back to some of the, the bushwalking and, um, you know, some kayaking and things that I really enjoy and a lot of other adventurous um, activities. And I'm looking forward to spending more time with, with our grandchildren, um, seeing I didn't spend a lot of time with, with our children um, as they were growing up, but I'll hopefully be able to invest more time with our grandchildren. Do you think they missed out? I had a I have a wife who is um, more than compensates for me. Um, you know, she's uh, enabled our our children to sort of grow up in an environment that uh, where if I'm not around, um, you know, they've still been very looked after. So um, I often think I often feel sort of pangs of guilt that I wasn't around. I didn't ever go to any of their sporting activities or uh, or things. Whenever something came up, um, I was often called in and um, so missed out on a lot of their activities. So there's sort of feelings of uh, you know guilt about that. But um, they're all pretty happy, balanced kids uh, now, and so I'm happy. And um, you know they're growing their families and. Uh, and you know I'm able to enjoy 
interacting with them through their, their families now. So I'm getting a second chance, uh, Mark. So you talk about uh, the kayaking and bushwalking. Yeah. What are some of the memorable experiences you've had as an outdoors person? Um, well, I think it was part of it's part of sort of the comp- compensating for the intensity of medicine is that um, I sort of took an interest in bushwalking fairly early um, when I came to Gympie and had a few mates um, in town and um, we've sort of been walking together for you know the last 25 30 years and um, so it sort of developed from walking around in this area we gave ourselves the task of you know climbing all the local mountains around here and um, including that mountain behind you here Mount Glastonbury and from there we thought well let's go and try something a bit different and um, so we we went to Tasmania and did um, the overland track and then we thought you know that was pretty pretty good and well let's see if we can do some other things so we went to Nepal and um, wow. we walked to um, to you know close to base camp and um, how was that that was uniquely different um, because it's a cultural difference as well so it was not just the um, the walking and the climbing but it was the um, the cultural differences and uh, it was it was great it was one of those life memories um, which I'll always cherish um, and so we did that with the four of us the four um, the four walking guys and uh, that was memorable and since that time we've we've um, you know, done a lot of other walks in New Zealand and Tasmania and and the like so quite a quite a multitude and and it's the sort of thing I think that kept my sanity um, throughout the time I probably didn't help my wife's sanity as I when I left her with the with our four children or three children, however many it was at the time when I left, but it was the thing that kept me um, able to sort of you know, escape people for a while and um, and just enjoy the wilderness. I think the thing that attracts me to walking is is the remoteness, the wilderness, and I usually you'll usually find that my walking spots are spots where there's very few people or no people. You know, wilderness of Tasmania or wilderness of New Zealand or or the like or South America. Talk about South America. What did you do there? Went over to South America, um, and we visited the national parks with my wife, and um, and I did a lot of the walks while she stayed at home and, and read read some books. Um, but there's some great walks in the um, Fitzroy National Park and the um, and um, Del Paney National Park that um, are spectacular uh, walks. What sets them apart? I think um, again, it's it's the remoteness and um, and the different scenery. Um, you know, their iconic features. You know, the um, the, the pillars. Um, you know, of Del Paney National Park and being able to walk to the base of them and uh, and the like is uh, just uniquely different from what we're used to around here. And it's different from Nepal and it's different from Tasmania and it's different from New Zealand. It's uh, it's just encompasses. Um, you know our world it's um it's very different in different places do you tend to uh stick to the more mountainous areas when you're walking or are you looking for just views what is the sort of thing that draws you to a walking trail my other passion um, apart from walking is photography um so it's usually remote places um and as a rural mountains 
Yeah, so it's got to have a mountain, and, and my wife always sort of um, jokes that uh, you know we can't drive past a mountain without me being wanting to be on top of it, and it's it's very true. There's something about being on top of a mountain. The world looks different. What's the um, the, the attraction to stand on top of the mountain? What's the feeling? I think it's just the challenge of doing it. So when you get to the top, you feel as if you've accomplished something, and um, of course, there's usually a couple of good photo shots as well. But as a rule. A lot of the photo shots are on the way up the top, um, um, but it's the accomplishment. It's it's feeling that you've actually conquered something. When you have conquered, you've still got to go down there. Yes, that's right, and um, that's that's quite enjoyable in in different ways as well. Um, but yes, it's uh, you know usually you aim to get to the top, um, then getting home again is sort of oh okay, I better better get going. But it's the climb to the top is certainly the the ultimate experience and the unwind is the walk back down I that's suppose. right yes yeah you talk about the freedom that you've got now yep were you not free were you too bound do you think by what you'd chosen in your particular career I never felt that way until probably you know um, the last couple of years um, I felt that it was a um, something that I was called to do or that I wanted to do um, and so I committed um, myself to that. Um, and as I said, you know, when, when I started medicine, it, was, um, it wasn't just a career, it was a lifestyle because you know, we started very early when I first came to Gympie um, in 81. We started very early in the morning because we had um, to do anaesthetics or, or operative procedures. And you know, we'd you know, say start at six and we'd finish at you know, nine o'clock at night. And that was a standard sort of day. And then in between, then after nine o'clock, you're on call, and you and we did obstetrics um, in those days. So you'd possibly be called out to to deliver um, um, a baby in the middle of the night. So it was very much it was your life. Um, so they're big days, though. How did you cope? I've been fortunate that I seem to need little sleep, um, and I don't get super tired. So. That's been good. I think that came from many years of um, slogging at the, um, at the textbooks, uh, you know, where you finish your, your study at two o'clock in the morning and sort of, um, you know, get, get up to go to lectures next morning. Um, I think I got used to that. I still find that, um, you know, I rarely go to bed before midnight um, because um, I just don't feel necessarily tired. So I'm fortunate in that respect and I think that medicine makes that happen as well. Um, but disturbed sleep is something that I found easy to put up with probably in the early years, not so much these days. You talk about when you were doing procedural medicine back in the day. How has it changed over the 40 years that you've seen and experienced? Yeah, well, it's changed significantly. It's probably one of the disappointments of um, of. of medicine in, in over the last 40 years for me is just seeing the decline of the procedural stuff that um, that we as um, GPs used to be able to do. Um, so you know initially um, when I came to Gympie there were nine nine doctors. I was I became the ninth doctor in, in Gympie and we we looked after most of the patients. Um, there were hospital doctors, there were two hospital doctors and um, they um, looked after um, the public patients, but a, a huge percentage of our patients were, you know, did have private cover. And so we had two theatre sessions a week uh, in our practice alone. 
and uh, where we did you know the things, simple things um, you know tonsillectomies and you know gallbladders and um, things we had a surgeon in our team um, gallbladders and uh, and we did the seizures and um, the surgery that um, it's pretty full-on it was full-on and of course we had to do the anesthetics as well with there was no anesthetists in town and we did the anesthetics um, for the hospital, a lot of the hospital cases as well. So there was a very big interaction between the hospital, the public hospital and the private guys. Um, and uh, we did a lot of the procedures in our rooms that now get done by, um, by the radiology practices. Um, like what we, sort of stuff? Um, we used to do all of the joint injections and the shoulder injections and uh, the like. Um, there wasn't the option of having them done by the radiology group, so we did them. And um, that was, uh, you know, we got a small fee for that. Um, I think um, now they're all referred to the radiology group, and of course they get a much bigger fee <laughs> for, for that. Why but, the difference? Again, I think it's, um, you know, the expertise that's um, ex- expected that um, specialists um, ex- have their expertise. And, uh, and of course, they have the imaging. They really need to do the imaging. That's, there's a cost to that, and there's a cost then to doing the procedure. So it's a big, it's a much more expensive exercise for Medicare. Um, and the sad thing is that the GPs have lost that skill. You know, I used to teach that um, skill to my registrars. I don't teach that anymore because our doctors don't do that those skills anymore so um, procedural medicine is is certainly not done so much now by GPs and I that's that's sad because I think the doctors today are missing out on the enjoyment of doing the procedural sort of stuff and doing a lot of the, the things the same with um, the fractures we used to do all of the fractures in our clinic we had an x-ray machine <laughs> um, we would do it um, the anesthetics uh, we had an anesthetic machine in our in our rooms and we would give a quick anesthetic to you know set a, a fracture nowadays the fractures go straight to the to the hospital and we you know rarely see them first first off they just go straight to the hospital so it's it's different and I think as I said I think um, I've been fortunate to have practiced medicine at that time um, and I think some of the doctors these days are missing out on that although there is a, a tendency now to want to start retraining general practitioners to be you know um, more focused on um, certain procedural stuff but again it's it's either they'll follow a path of of obstetrics or they'll follow a path of anesthetics or they'll follow a path of um, pediatrics so it's they're still super sort of semi-specialized it's a, a bit of an interesting uh, call that it's doing full circle now that uh, they're back training to do procedural medicine yes. when it seems to have uh, died out to a large degree. Yes. Do you think that it's going to come back to where you were in the, the old days? No, I, I don't think it'll ever ha- happen like that again. Certainly not in the, um, in the bigger centres like um, you know in, in the major cities and um, even in Gympie, but... Um, Obviously, in a place like um, you know Longreach or, or Winton, you need doctors who um, can do all those sorts of things. So I think that's where the um, the procedural sort of skills will be, you know, honed. Um, so the doctors um, will do that. And I think in these remote areas, the doctors still do a lot of those sort of um, you know procedures because they have to. There's no other option. And I mean, I think a lot of um, my experience also came from the fact that. Um, my first um, 
couple of years of medicine, I was um, um, the sole practitioner in, uh, in a little country town and um, I was the only one there and so I had to do all of those things um, and you do that, you get confidence in doing that and um, that it was certainly my, um, you know, my grounds for sort of the skills that I, uh, I acquired. Talk about those days out in the country when you were the only doctor. Were you relying on the training or was it on the job learning? It was a bit of both. Um, because you know, I, I um, acquired a um, state, what they call the state scholarship back then um, when I was going through university um, to help pay for my, um, my education. And that meant that I was bonded um, to the government so that when I finished my first year um, in, the, in a, a hospital, I was then expected to go to a small community and, um, and look after that community. So we knew that. And so though we were given some extra training when, um, in our first year, in our first year residency um, after leaving medical school. So I made sure that I did plenty of obstetrics and I did plenty of anaesthetics and I did a few um, you know, operations, appendicectomies and things like that so that I was you know, ready for that. So. Um, I, I went out there with, with a reasonable sort of uh, skill or knowledge, but certainly nothing ever prepares you for at the time when suddenly you've got a, a, you know, an accident and you're the only one there and you've got to sort of do these, um, these procedures. We um, had um, some adjoining um, towns um, where there were um, doctors. The closest one was uh, an hour away. And so, if we needed, if I needed an, uh, an anaesthetic, I would ring him up, and he'd come over and do the anaesthetic while I did the procedure, and vice versa. I went over and did his anaesthetics um, there. So that was um, that was an experience in itself. Um, you know, quick quick trips to um, you know to the neighbouring town. I, I I had a little Datsun 1600 at the time, and uh, that was my first car, and I still had that, and uh, and I sort of. Um, felt that it couldn't quite go fast enough so um, mm. so I, I splashed out and, and bought a, a big um, V8 um, Ford um, station wagon um, much to my wife's amusement um, and I actually I think I bought it the um, the week before we were to be married so I don't think that went over very well <laughs> either we were out looking for cars instead of doing the other things that we should have been doing but um, yeah, it was nice um, driving this um, nice, powerful car over to do this. I used to look forward to having to go to do um, anaesthetics in the in the neighbouring town. Are you a car guy? No, I'm not. And that's the thing. That's the <laughs> that's the first time I sort of um, you know really you know went out and um, you know bought a, a more expensive or a more powerful car. No, I cars don't mean a great deal to me. Um, they get me from point A to point B, and that's it. But on further on that, um, that's in sixteen hundred, which, as I said, was my first car I bought it while, while I was a student um, for two thousand two hundred and twenty-five dollars. I remember. Must have been a fair bit of money in those days. Though. Well, it was, and I, I could I, I could afford the first, the um, one thousand dollars, and um, mum and dad gave me the loan for the uh, for the rest. Which um, which I paid off with my Christmas job while I was while I was you know studying, um, and um, but that Datsun 1600 you know travelled with me through my student um, years and um, and I had it here in Gympie uh, out there at um, Biggin and I had it um, when I came to Gympie. But um, I remember 
um, one of my patients um, came and said to me one day, he said, look, Doc, he said, you've got to get rid of that, um, that car of yours and get a decent car. He said, you know, I can't, when you drive past, I can't say, look, that's my doctor <laughs> uh, when you're driving that car. So soon after that, it did die and I had to buy an, a different car. But no, cars haven't meant a great deal to me, really. Um, Back to the um, early days in medicine, what first got you the motivation to become a doctor in the first place? It started in grade four wow. when I went to the doctor. And I, I know this because I, I, I can remember the, the situation um, where mum took me to the doctor and I was sitting in the waiting room and um, I think I must have just been overwhelmed by the by something. I'm, I'm not sure why I said, but I said to her, um, I asked her a few questions and I said, Mum, I think I want to be a doctor. This is at four. It, this is at, it, um, sorry, grade four. Grade four. Grade right. four, and I was nine years old. Right. Grade, it's still fairly early to have that Very, sort of uh, epiphany. Yeah, and I don't, I, I thought about that sometimes um, as to why that came. I mean, I'd like to think because you know I was brought up in a in a Christian family that it was um, you know I had a you know a desire to you know choose a caring profession but I think if I think about it it was just something that came to me while I was sitting in there thinking you know I like this place I like the smell I I, um, I like the activity <laughs> I think I'd like to be part of that and uh, I didn't change my uh, my direction or mind from that moment on. What was your parents' reaction at the time? Oh, I think that they would have sort of said like um, yeah, uh, any parents, boy. yeah, um, <laughs> that's right, I, yeah, you know, so not a fireman, uh, you know, uh, they would have just sort of taken it uh, with a grain of salt, but um, but I didn't change my mind and um, and I'm very glad I didn't. Um, it's, it, was, it was the thing that drove me to work hard um, at, um, at school. I remember High school was, uh, for me, was very focused on getting good results because I knew that to get into medicine, I would have to get good results and good marks, and um, and because medicine was still, you know, one that was a little bit harder to get into, um, so I worked very hard for it, and and um, you know got that. If you didn't become a doctor, what would you have done? Did was there any fallback? Back when I did my final, it, it um, it's high school we did the old senior exam and you had to choose um, three options uh, choice for careers I wanted to go to university and I um, had to choose three so medicine was my first um, my second choice was um, scientist um, you know working in laboratory and my third choice was um, science teaching um, so I remember putting those three down as it was, um, I was fortunate I got a um, Commonwealth scholarship from, you know, from um, my senior results and that gave me the option of choosing any course at university that I wanted. So I had, was able to get into medicine and my first choice so I didn't ever have to explore those other, other options. Can you remember the feeling when you finally got accepted to study medicine yeah. at university? Yeah, I can. It was overwhelming because it was it was my dream and I worked very hard for it um, I was often referred to as a bit nerdish because I was never seen away from the, from, from the textbooks um, and the like so I accomplished um, you know what I'd really um, been working towards so it was a great relief 
but it was um, it was a great moment in my life. General practice as opposed to specialty medicine. Was there a reason that you decided on general practice? Was it open all the way through or you're always going to become a GP? No, I wasn't. I didn't really give um, my choice a great deal of um, thought. Um, I just wanted to do medicine and then, of course, I got sent out into the, to the country. And um, and I, I was thinking seriously of... Um, specialising in paediatrics and um, but the longer I spent out in the country the harder it would have been to get back into the hospital situation because you, you'd have to do your paediatrics through the um, you know it's hospital based and that you, I would have had to go and get a um, you know training back in the hospitals and and um, you know out in the country and doing um, all the general medicine that I was um, I couldn't see myself going back into hospital practice General practice became my choice, and um, I've never regretted that. In actual fact, I'm, I'm very glad that I didn't choose paediatrics because I felt you know, that would have narrowed me down. The things that I've done in general practice have been far in excess of uh, what I could do probably in paediatrics. So I've had no regrets about um, choosing the general practice um, pathway, and if I did medicine again, um, that's what I would choose. With the doctors these days, you say they're not getting the sort of training that you did. Are they as good as the the GPs and doctors and clinicians that were around, say, 40 years ago? Yeah, look, I'm sure it's uh, like any um, profession, um, you know, you've got your good and, you, and, you, and your bad. And, um, yeah, look, there's, um, their training is good and the, um, the doctors um, are um, uh, in general, to get through medicine these days, you've you've got to you know you've got to know your stuff and you've got to do well. Um, and there's a lot of extra training um, once you've done your medicine now in general practice or in any specialty that you choose. So yes, they are. But I think that um, the expectations on doctors now it's different. There's different requirements. There's a lot more regulation. There's a lot more paperwork. There's a lot lot more um, you know um, accountability than that there ever was. Um, in the past, which means you know, it's a more arduous sort of um, task sometimes, you know, writing notes about, about everything. I think that back, you know, in our early days, um, notes were very much a secondary thing. Um, nowadays, of course, it's vital that we, um, you know, we have very good records and keep very good um, notes, but it does take a lot of time. And so, you know, it, um, it's a different practice of medicine. What is the biggest thing that you've found hardest to adapt to as you've seen the evolution of medicine during your 40 years is it that note-taking yeah look I think that's that's the part that gets harder um, for me to take it in the last few years I've noticed that um, everybody wants their um, you know their written documents um, on this there's everyone comes in with their with their forms to be completed and uh, and there's a lot of that now there's you know um, certain plans you've got to do for, before you can refer someone to um, you know to a, to a an allied health person and that there, so there's a lot of stuff that I don't regard as being necessarily pure medicine or as relevant as it, perhaps it needs to be I think it's it's accountability and um, that's the thing that's probably the hardest to sort of um, to, to adapt to and get used to especially when I you know practice at a time um, when you know that just wasn't required. You know, medicine was a lot simpler in many respects. It's a lot more complex now. In Gosh, many that's respects. an interesting thought. When you say you're doing operations and procedural medicine, you say it's more complex now. I 
probably would have been steering the other way. I think the complexities, um, you know, not just in, in, in what we do, it's, it's in, in how we do it now. Um, it's expectations. Um, you know, if you, you know, back when I started, CT scans were, you know, only in major hospitals and, um, you know, I probably would have ordered a, a CT scan once or twice a year. Now, you know, a week wouldn't go by when I wouldn't order a CT scan. It's the availability of all of these um, extra services. We've got MRI scanning now, which, uh, you know, is, um, is another level of, of, um, of scanning. This medicine is very much more advanced, it's more, more complex, um, and there's a lot more to know. And I think when I say it was simpler, I think, um, you know, it was, there weren't as many options um, and so therefore, you know, you had a um, very simple pathway. Nowadays, um, you know, there's a lot to know and it's changing. It's just changing every day. Uh, new drugs, um, you know, new ways of treating cancer. You know, we're seeing, you know, cancer treatments now changing the whole direction of, um, of, of cancer. People are surviving um, cancers that they wouldn't have survived back um, when, um, when I started. Um, so it's... The advances are more complex, but they're getting, you know, better results. But, you know, people are expecting that um, that those services will be available for them, but they they cost money, and um, you know, I think our our health budget is is um, going to be, you know, stressed for life. That's an interesting thing. The cost of medicine these days. It is really starting to balloon out. Is there something that you think should be done about that? Um, well, yeah, I, I certainly am not one to sort of um, give that advice or, or the like. Uh, I'll leave that to the to the accountants and the um, and the experts. But um, so I wouldn't know where to start. I Are we too Americanised these days with the fact that you do need private health insurance, but there's still big gaps and people uh, are still having to dip into their pocket. I think that um, medicine in Australia is probably some of the best in the world. I think that. Um, medicine um, and top medicines available to every member of um, our community um, whether you have private cover or not if you don't have private cover the public system is extremely good um, it might take a little bit longer but it's extremely good and uh, um, so we're very fortunate I, I've heard reports of you know the NHS system in in um, in the UK sort of struggling and and I we all know that the system in America isn't really you know, working very well for a lot of the, the community. So Australia, we're still the fortunate country, definitely with medicine. What excites you about medicine these days? Because it has changed and it is evolving. What area of medicine do you say, wow, that's really good that they're doing X, Y or Z? I think um, a few things that have changed um, medicine is, is immunisation. Um, immunisation has resulted in a lot of our um, you know, communicable diseases being um, brought under control and no longer, you know, part of it. Um, measles, diphtheria. Um, Were you seeing a lot of that in the early days? I used to see um, a bit of measles um, mm. um, and mumps and the like. I haven't seen that now for many years, mind you. There's still occasional outbreaks of, of measles and chickenpox, but um, you know, back in my early days, chickenpox was just, you know. Um, the disease that everybody had, um, all the kids got, um, and you get you just you know you have, you have parties where 
you know, if someone's got chickenpox, everyone goes there so that um, the kids get it over and done with, you know, quickly. Of course, that's that's <laughs> past history and it's not acceptable sort of uh, medicine these days. So immunisation has definitely changed um, things. Um, the other thing that I think is uh, where I've seen the biggest change is, um, is the treatments for cancers, the cancer, um, the new um, monoclonal antibody treatments for for cancer um, therapy and radiotherapy, of course, um, you know, is has changed things dramatically. Um, better surgical techniques. There's, it, it's certainly evolving at a very rapid um, rate, um, and that's probably the the biggest changes that um, that I've seen. Well, there's been a big change in the last twelve months or so, of course, with COVID. Yes. How have you? experience that and how do you see it unfolding well it certainly has affected all of us hasn't it um COVID, it's um it's changed um the way we do things the way we interact and um and the like um personally living in gympie i think gympie hasn't been um, impacted greatly we've had um, a few cases of COVID. most of them have been contained very quickly and so we haven't had the um the real concern so I think there's been a certain um, relaxed uh, feeling about um, you know COVID in, in Gympie. As far as our pr- practice is concerned, I did um, practice from home for four or five weeks, um, just doing phone consultations. The government um, enabled us as GPs to do phone consultations and be remunerated for that. Finally getting paid for all the phone calls. Correct, yes. <laughs> and the, question, the big question is, will that stay or will they, or will they sort of, um, you know, close that, um, that option down? It's been very handy for a lot of people. But um, so that had, had impact, not working at the surgery. But I think a lot of people have found um, that COVID has enabled them to stop and reevaluate things and slow down because they've had to. A lot of working from home, a lot of things. They can't go out to restaurants. They can't, um, you know, go out to a lot of sporting groups and things like that. So they've had to have more time at home and they've sort of, you know, things have slowed down and they've sort of um, refocused the like. So, you know, I think that's what I've certainly seen happen. Where we go from here, well, we certainly seem like we're normalising a little bit more now with um, with um, borders opening up um, just as recently as the last couple of days. Um, and so we're going to see, um, you know, Australia to return to a sense of normality, although COVID is with us for a long time. Immunisation is being heralded as being, you know, the thing that's going to save us all, and I'm sure it will be very beneficial. But I think it's going to take a long time for that to to infiltrate um, the community and um, and give us the protection that we need. And I mean, you know, we don't know how successful the, the immunisation is going to be. Do you think uh, they're rushing it through? I think they have to rush it through. Mm-hmm. I think that that's. Um, essential if they're going to do it the sooner the better and they you know that's the other thing that um, you know has advanced with um, is as I said immunization technology is just um, you know astounding now and so they've been able to you know do that because of the background immunization work that they've been doing um, so I think it um, had to be rushed through and I think um, it still needs to be um, you know pushed through as um, as rapidly as we can because I mean there's a lot of people being affected, a lot of people dying that, um, you know, we can turn around. 
draft. What if they get it wrong by rushing it, though? I suppose we won't really know that until, um, you know, uh, the aftermath. But they, it's fairly fairly rigorous um, requirements before they can bring it out into the community. They have to pass um, some very vigorous, uh, rigorous um, testing and, um, and approval um, before it's allowed out. So I don't see it being allowed out before it's, one, safe, um, and two, offers, you know, protected, um, you know, reliable protection. The question will be not whether it's safe, but the protection. The question will be how long does it give us protection that we need? Do we have to repeat this injection once, twice, every 12 months? Boosters. Like, like a flu needle, boosters, you know, they're the unknowns. But safety-wise, it, it will not be rolled out without it being totally safe. So I think that um, the community should not be worried about that. Are you having a sigh of relief in some ways that you are getting out of medicine when you are because of this COVID situation? Probably not so much because of COVID, um, but there's a lot of changes, um, you know, in medicine that, um, you know, are coming forth. And I, and I, and I think, ah, OK, I won't be part of that. Um, that's probably, that's good. Um, because all these changes that come require commitment. They require, you know, um, because... When in general practice, we're part of you know, a practice and part of a business. And so there's usually a lot of changes that have to occur when new things come in, a lot of um, you know, new learning and, and the like. Um, so it's going to be nice to, uh, to be able to, as I said right at the start, to be free to actually not necessarily um, have to commit to that, but leave that to, to my colleagues um, and be free to go and, and do some other things. Might be a bit, bit of a selfish sort of um, approach, but um, it's, it's time to do that. You've probably earned it. Now, coming back to Gympie after growing up here, how was that to, how were you received when you first came back here? It's a very interesting question that um, I'd been in Gympie, we came to Gympie um, when my parents moved here from Nambour when I was um, nine years. Um, that was my that, that um, year that I went to see my doctor. It was a pretty um, big at, year. Yes, it was. Uh, we came back to Gympie halfway through the year and it was that, that second half of the year that I went to see the doctor and um, decided that medicine was, medicine was the way to go. But um, so I was in, um, in Gympie from the age of nine and so I did uh, most of my primary school um, here at um, Central School. I did most of my, I did all of my high school at Gympie High and then I went away to uni for the six years and then I uh, worked at Biggenen, uh, at Bundaberg for 12 months and then Biggenen, um as the superintendent, the medical superintendent with private practice out there for two years. Then I had the situation of deciding what I was going to do because I'd finished my term as of um, uh, bonding to the government. I was invited back to Gympie by um, my GP, um, Dr Green, um, to join their practice. Was he the one that you experienced the smells, the, 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 the whole wanting to become a doctor? No, it wasn't. It was actually a different practice. Um, but we did change to, um, to Dr Green um, sometime after that. And um, so he was um, my ongoing um, GP during my teenage years. So he had invited me back to join the practice. At that stage, it was doctors um, Green, Walker and Bryce. And so I um, you know, had the option of coming back there or I had the option of just going out and, um, and doing, you know, working anywhere in general practice. I was married at that stage um, and we 
contemplated which was the best way because coming back to Gympie, I was known in Gympie, you know, um, I'd done all my schooling here and um, so I thought, well, you know, what are people going to think about, you know, this um, young fellow coming back and, uh, you know, being, being their doctor. And so I was really quite apprehensive about that. So it made it harder. It did make it harder. So we really contemplated, um, you know, starting up a practice in Tenham Sands. Mm-hmm. At that stage, was a new development just south of um, of Gladstone, and um, and it was um, brand new. They had no doctor, so I was going to go up and be the GP there. So we toyed with that, but then we thought our parents live in Gympie. Um, it's closer to Brisbane. It's all the things that we need. So uh, we'll give Gympie a try, and um, and that now that's sort of history. But um, it was the right decision. Um, I was very well um, received um, coming back to, to Gympie. There were no, no problems. Um, you know, a lot of my patients have been you know, kids that I grew up with, and so the privilege of looking after them and their families and things like that um, has been there, and it, it didn't detract in any way from you know, my ability to be accepted in the, in the community. Was there an awkwardness that when you're examining or treating someone that you knew from either side, from you or from them? No, no, I don't think so. I think that that's sort of the skills we learn as well, how to sort of, um, you know, relate to, to people no matter what the situation. And um, so, no, I, I never found it uncomfortable. I can't probably speak for my patients, but I, I would think that they probably found it okay as well. They kept coming back anyway, so, <laughs> that, so they probably did. Um, so now I was um, pleasantly surprised that it was um, it, it ended up being the right decision. What's the thing that stands out, either procedural or something that you've done in general practice that you just go, yeah, I did that really well. The good thing about being in Gympie and in, in a group practice is that you've got colleagues around you, and so therefore, if you have some doubts about something, you um, you run it past them. That's the that's the beauty of um, having colleagues. And um, and so you know they say, look, you know, I think that's the right way, or you know, this is the way I do it. I'll give you a hand to do that, or something like that. That's um, invaluable. When I think probably the most um, memorable experiences I had were when I was by myself in Biggenden, um, because you are by yourself. And I, I still remember um, a snake bite coming in a, a young child. Um, I think I think they were about seven or eight, um, and. They didn't weren't able to identify um, the snake, but um, so they started having symptoms. And, and you don't have all of the testing, um, you know, blood test availability in a small town. So you've got to sort of send it off to, to Bundaberg, which is an hour and a half away, and uh, and and the like. So you know, you had to watch for symptoms. And this child started deteriorating. So I I um, gave them the polyvalent um, antivenine, um, snake bite antivenine. And um, which you know covers all of the snake bites and that, but then they developed an anaphylactic reaction to this vaccine, so to the um, antivenine. So that required me to you know then administer you know adrenaline. So I remember sitting up with um, with this child, um, giving small increments of adrenaline right through the night. I sat beside the bed for probably twelve hours, just um, you know keeping this child alive. They did survive and um, were you know, very grateful. I used to get a Christmas card from them every year. Um, so those sort of things which uh, are some of the most worrying times in my life, but again, it's a bit like climbing the top of a mountain. You, know, you get there and it's, it's just elation. It's a, it's, it's a feeling of accomplishment and um, the like. So 
Um, and there are there are a number of those um, events where basically you did have a part in in in, in conserving you know, someone's life. Um, and that's pretty powerful. It is. It's it's powerful and it's um, it's rewarding. And and I've always found um, medicine to be, you know, I, I I get a lot more out of it than um, you know than I'm sure my 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 patients do. It's just the fact that you are able to make a change and a difference to to a lot of people's lives, and uh, it's a privilege position um, to be included in people's lives and to be accepted and, um, and respected in that sort of um, that area so that's the things that I treasure the most is the you know, relationships I've had with um, with my patients the privilege of being part of their life and their family and I think the 40 years being in one place for 40 years you get you get the opportunity to have been part of their life for you know two or three generations really for the, over that 40 years um, you know you've, you've delivered them and then you look after you know um, their children and, and, and so on so um, and their extended family it's a very privileged position and uh, that's the thing that I feel blessed about um, having you know practiced for this long in a small you know country town basically. Must be a really satisfying feeling to deliver someone and then watch them have their family and you're a part of the growth of that family it is, it is. it's a it's it's as i said a privileged um, position and um very rewarding so um yeah i think um i chose a career that um for for not so sure what reason but um, um i'm very glad i did it's uh, it's an opportunity to um you know to use your skills but it's a it's an opportunity to um to relate um, to people, and I think I've enjoyed that um, that relationship aspect, um, yeah, the most. We were talking about learning. Do you still refer back to medical school? Is it has it given you your six years of your life? As you said, do you still go? Yep, that's something I remembered from medical school. I think medical school learning has probably faded quite a lot. Um, it's really the learning that um, that's continuing. Um, that that um, I probably have learnt most from. Um, continuing medical education is, of course, critical in, in medicine, and um, and I've always enjoyed that aspect. I enjoy going to um, to conferences. I enjoy learning about new um, things um, in medicine, and that's another thing that I had to come to terms with when um, giving up medicine. Is just um, okay? Do I stop sort of learning? about medicine and in some respects that's going to happen by default um, I would like to think that I still keep um, keep up with um, you know some things that um, that are happening in medicine because it's still you know a passion and interest that I have medical school probably faded um, away and a lot of the stuff we learned at medical school has changed so dramatically um, that you know it, it just shows how vital it is to actually keep up to date this continuing education, how important is it? Is it something that is more important these days for the changes with what's happening in medicine or yep. less important? No, it's, it is more important. It's, it's critical. And I think that um, you know, we are required to do that as part of our registration, but I think that it's, um, you know, those requirements are fairly, uh, fairly straightforward. I think that... Um, Anyone who really wants to keep up with medicine has got to really be very focused on, on learning, continuing learning. 
and that's what keeps um, keeps us keeps the mind active as well, which is um, which is very important. So Will you keep studying? Will you keep your mind active? I have to. Um, it's, um, it's proven that um, you know if we keep our mind active and um, the like, we um, will keep our mind working um, for longer. Um, so I hope to. And as I said, I, I hope that a lot of that's medicine. But I'm hoping that I can read things that are not necessarily medical journals. Um, for for instance, I I, um, I haven't um, spent much time reading uh, other books, uh, reading you know um, fiction and the like because. Uh, you know, I always feel guilty if I pick up a, a fiction book. Um, I think, no, no, I really should be reading that journal. So, you know, I've always felt guilty. So, I think um, the idea of, of um, sitting down, having a bit of time to to read other literature and other um, things, is probably an attraction as well. It must be an interesting uh, mindset then to move to where you're not having to continually keep yourself updated and you can look at different things. Yes. Is there a sense of guilt when you're walking into that? Um, I don't think so. I think it's, there's a sense of relief more. I certainly um, I think I can put that guilt sort of feeling about reading um, away because I know that I won't necessarily be having to... Um, to use that uh, that knowledge for um, to treat patients so there's that sense of freedom and probably a sense of relief in many respects as well that I can actually let some of that go back in the early days when you were so procedural and you were so hands-on what was it like the first time do you remember the first time you put knife to skin and like the uh, snake bite you hadn't yep. experienced it before yep. how did that work for you it's a very interesting um, situation there because, as I said, when I, um, I was doing procedures in um, in Biggenden, and we had a theatre there. Um, this child came in with a um, actually was a child. No, it was an adult. Came in with um, appendicitis. What I what I diagnosed as as appendicitis, and um, so I rang up Henry Young, the um, the doctor from Gainda and said, um, Henry, I need an anaesthetic. This I got to take this appendix out. And so um, he, and this was a, this was the first appendix I had done by myself. Okay, I'd assisted in appendix, and um, you know, but I'd never done one myself. Um, I'd, I'd always been the assistant. So um, he came over and um, you know gave the anaesthetic, and um, I um, opened up and. It wasn't a straightforward appendix. It was actually what we call a retrocecal appendix. It was actually behind and, and attached to the back of the bowel. So I was very fortunate that um, that Henry Young, the um, the anaesthetist guy, was had been in general practice for in Gainer for about twenty years. He was very experienced, and so he actually um, helped me through it. He said, um, "You know, do this and do that." And so he was giving the anaesthetic, but um, also assisting me uh, with the procedure. So. Um, I was um, very grateful for his help. So my first appendix was ch very challenging. Um, the other ones after that were a little bit easier. But that, that's the first time I put knife to, um, to skin, um, as you, um, you know, asked. Um, and that was a bit of a scary moment. But again, survived and um, did well, and I learned a lot from it. Scary moments. Have you had many of them? There's always scary moments in um, in medicine. Um, probably my scariest moments were obstetrics. What happened there? Oh, I think there's always there's always that unknown. You know, 90% of obstetrics is straightforward and and, um, and and goes without problems. But um, that 10% um, 
that um, are the things that sort of age you very quickly, um, you know, where things can go very bad very quickly for um, for mum and bub, and you've just got to, um, you know, react very quickly. Um, this was more of an issue in beginning because then I was doing obstetrics by myself there, so there was no one to, to assist me, so, you know, you just had to... And I hope that things went uh, straight forward and um, again, um, you know, everybody survived. It's nice when I came to Gympie, I had, you know, people to, to help. Um, there's always somewhere you could ring and uh, and get, get a helping hand or, or get someone to come and do the Caesar for you or something like that. So um, obstetrics probably gave me my biggest worries. Um, anaesthetics was fairly straightforward. It's a fairly regulated um, thing. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, with anaesthetics when you mention it, though, it's only the one or two percent when things go wrong that other than that yes. they'll drift off do their thing yes did you have those one percenters yes had them what happened i remember um, one procedure um where i was giving the anesthetic for a surgeon who uh, and um, this person came in it was um, with a bleeding ulcer so the surgeon went in um, to fix that and it was um, bleeding a lot more than than um He'd, we'd anticipated, and um, I had a, a drip in each arm, pouring blood in, and uh, and you know, very hard to keep the blood up to this to this person, and um, so it all came to an end, and um, we thought, okay, that's good, we're we're fine. About four hours later, um, he had a rebleed, so we had to go in and um, do it again. So that was that was a, a rough night, that one, but again, he survived. Um, so, but. You don't want those sort of things happening too often. Um, but there, there are a few scary moments, but um, that's sort of part of anaesthetics. In many respects, that was the one procedural thing that um, when it did come time to sort of um, let it go, I found the easiest to let go, the, um, the anaesthetics. Um, obstetrics, um, again, it, it, it occurred because of some changes in government regulation um, that... Um, they didn't want GPs doing it in the public system. They weren't going to pay pay the um, pay the insurance, and so we stopped doing it for um, for a while. We weren't able to to um, to provide that service, and a lot of doctors never not a lot of GPs never came back to starting it up again. So um, so when the government realised the, the folly and um, and then sort of resumed um, covering us for insurance, um, it was too late we'd all had a sample of life without obstetrics, <laughs> which was nice, not having to get up at, uh, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning or we're just about to go on holidays and you get a phone call, you know, one of your patients is, is um, you know, in labour and so, you know, it would um, change the trajectory of our, of our holiday. Did that wear you down, having that sort of pull on your time and resources? At the time, it was just part and parcel of, of life and, and, you, and you accept that. Um, but when you stop doing it, you suddenly realise the freedom um, that you have in not doing it and, um, and, and say, well, look, you know, how did I keep doing that? Um, and it was just a lot better for the family and um, a lot better for, you know, for sleep at night. It's an interesting thing that you've mentioned the word freedom quite a number of times and as you evolve and as you move away from medicine, there's a lot more freedom for you. You must have been dedicated well, I think that once you, if you commit to something, and um, you know, I've always believed that if I commit to anything, I want to do it to my best, and um, and and fulfil, you know, it to my best. Um, so, you know, you go to work every day. I suppose the freedom that I'm sort of 
experiencing. I, I, um, I enjoy, um, you know, kayaking and I enjoy kayaking, you know, in different parts of, the, of our local rivers and that, but I have to um, drive over the Mary River um, over Kid Bridge every day to go to work and I look down to see how, how much water there is and, and I think, oh, gee, it's a beautiful day today. The, the river's got a good height. I really should be sort of, uh, you know, on the, on the river at the moment, but then, you know, that quickly passes and you go to work. So I think freedom is, is also about um, having the choice of deciding what you do when you do, whereas, of course, when you're, when you're at work, no matter what work, it's not just medicine, whatever, your work, you're committed to that and it, um, it, it fills your week. And so you have you know, a weekend, if you have the weekends free, um, to do things, but usually there's the requirements there. So the freedom to actually be able to decide my destiny on a day is what I'm really referring to. And that's the exciting part that I'm looking forward to. What's the first thing you want to do when you do stop and pull the bales and sit home and just, as you say, read a book? Or what? Are, what are, you, what are yeah. the first? What's the first big thing you want to do? Janelle and I have planned a few holidays, um, so because you're known for your most uh, exquisite holidays, we've been fortunate that we've had some very good holidays, um, including you know exotic places like you know Antarctica and. Uh, and the Arctic and, um, and you know, um, Finland and, and the like. But, of course, COVID has slowed us the plan. We had a few plans to do some overseas trips and that was one of the first things we, um, as a couple, were going to be doing. So we have changed that and so we um, are doing some holidays um, around Australia. So there'll be a lot of times um, of just visiting the kids as well. We've got a, um, our oldest son and his family are um, live in Canberra, so we'll venture down there pretty early in the piece um, and um, spend some time with them and um, we'll you know, have a week or two at um, the coast and we'll go to Tasmania, so we'll do that. So a lot of the time is going to be, initially we'll be probably venturing around at those places, but there's always a few things that um, to do at home that I've been putting off for perhaps a year, perhaps 10 years, perhaps 40 years that um, are going to need to be done. A lot of, a lot of my photographic stuff I've got to sort of sort out so I've been leaving that till, till later so there'll be plenty plenty to do to keep me going and of course I think the important thing is that I've got to make this work you know retirement's not something that just um, you know happens you've got to actually make it work and um, so I'll, I'll put the same degree of commitment into making um, retirement work as I, as I have making medicine work. I suppose a lot of people say when they have retired, they don't know how they managed to work, how they had the time. Yeah, I do hear that um, a lot. It'd be interesting to see just um, how that plays out. What's the best photo? You talk about Antarctica. I've seen some of your Antarctic photos. What's the best photo you've taken? Ah, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I don't think I can really sort of um, relate to that. I, I, I think of the thing is that the photography goes hand in hand with the with the with the place. So when I when I take a photograph, I can I know exactly where I was and what I was doing at the time I took that. So it's it's my um, help to to memory. So whatever photo I have, I know when I took it and and, and the circumstances. So um, so there's a lot of photographs that um, I love because they remind me of a situation, a place, a time. Um, people that I was with, and so on. So, I there's no bests. There's a lot of um, 
good ones because they do remind me of that. I've, I've um, had some that you know I've put in competitions and things like that, and they're probably regarded as being, um, you know, good photographs. But describe those. I've taken photographs of um, people um, and some people shots that um, I was in Vanuatu and took a um, some young boys um, were playing, and I took some some photographs of that, and that um, you know, won me some awards. Um, they those ones were regarded highly, um, but again. You know, it was the circumstances I just remember, you know, sitting and, and watching these boys play and um, interacting with me. Um, you know, that picture um, just conjures up those, those memories. Um, so that's the important part to me. I'm not a competitive person. I don't... Um, I, I put these photographs in competitions because I was part of the camera club. But I have no, I have no great desire to ever sort of display my, my photographs. They're they're important to me, because they they remind me of places. But I'm I'm not a competitive person, so that um, I don't really take photographs to win competitions. I take photographs because I enjoy um, the the scenery or enjoy the experience. What do you prefer, digital or film? Well, I um, came, you know, grew up using film, of course, and I used to take um, uh, professional um, slide film, and um, they gave brilliant results. I am fairly critical of um, ph- photography these days because they're, they're all um, digitally altered. So, I mean, when you take a f- slide, it's a set photograph. You cannot alter it. That, that's it. You know, so you've captured that moment as it is. So if there's a tree that's there that looks a bit strange or dead, it's in the photograph. Whereas nowadays, if you take a photograph digitally, you just wipe the tree out and you put a full moon in or something. Like, I'm sort of fairly critical of that. To me, that's that's art, and it's, I'm I'm impressed by people who can do that. But it's it's not photography, as in raw photography of you know you capture that moment, you capture that person, you capture that that place, um, and it's the picture you took at the time you know I, it, I took it as it was now you can change it and so you never really know whether the photograph that you see has been altered or doctored or, or whatever nowadays so but do I use digital yes it's so very convenient because um, but I don't go and alter my my photographs um, a great deal I I um, take them digitally of course the nice thing about digitally you can you can take 10 of one thing and um, and um, you know, pick out the best. Whereas when I was taking slide um, film, you know, that it cost me two dollars every fo- time I took a photograph. So, and then you you take the photograph, you have no idea what it's going to be like. You send it off to get processed. Um, it comes back a week later, and you go through them there. You know, there's that s- excitement of of waiting to see what your photographs are like, and you you have a look at them, and you first off, and you think, oh. I thought it was a bit different from that. And so the first time you look at them, you, you, there's a sense of um, not as good as I thought. You put them down, come back a couple of weeks later, and then you see them for the way they really are, you know, and you think, ah, that's right, that's, that's nice. Has that changed over the years? Now, I, I know when I take a photograph, I'll know whether I've captured. Yes, you do, and that's the thing. You know now, so if, you don't, if it's not, not adequate or not right, you, um, the histogram's not, not right, you take it again. Um, and so Will you take a thousand photos to get one good one? Um, probably not a thousand, but um, yes, I'll, I'll take um, you know 
line them up and try different angles and uh, the like. I'll take many and then eventually you, you, you pick out one that you say, that's, that's, the, that's the one. You can do that with digital and, and, and that's the exciting part of digital. So yes, I've embraced digital, um, but I just, I'm happy with the, the photograph that I've taken rather than changing it too much. How was Antarctica when you went there, when you got to experience that part of the world that not a lot of people do? Well, firstly, when when I that was, I um, that was two thousand twenty two two thousand and one, so twenty years ago now, I went there. That was when um, trips to Antarctica were just opening up, and so um, went with um, a group called Aurora Expeditions, and I went on a photographic and mountain climbing um, trip. So I was fortunate enough to again get onto the top of a couple of peaks, including one unclimbed peak down there in Antarctica right, while, must have, while must we were there. felt fantastic. It, it did, and um, that was um, an amazing experience. Um, but the thing about Antarctica at those days is that um, this was just exploring Antarctica, you know, as, as a tourist was new. Um, it had just really opened up. Nowadays, of course, there's, you know, a lot of ships um, take people down there. One I went on was only 50 people, and they were all sort of, um, you know, either climbers or, or photographers and that was an exciting thing so we we had an enjoyable time it was um an experience that i'll never forget because it was just so different such a contrast to to anything else i'd ever seen and so pristine and so quiet and so um peaceful compare that to then nepal where you're experience such a experiencing such a different culture different culture but also people everywhere so even even um, you know on the on the trek up to um, <coughs> Tembershay where we, we got to on the on the way up to um, to the base camp, just people all the way along the um, the track um, of all you know different persuasions. Some of them um, you know tourists, some of them um, you know just locals who are just you know doing their getting walking from one village to the next. Um, so it was all people there. So it was all about the culture as well as the um, the, the scenery. So, if I had a preference, I would probably go to um, Antarctica because, it's, again, it's it's that um, remoteness and it's that quietness that I like. The um, you know escaping people, but I, I'm certainly very glad I experienced um, Nepal. It's a it's a, a place. It's a very vibrant place. Kathmandu is is um, like no other. It's a, it's a vibrant place. Was there any desire, being a trekker and uh, climbing mountains, was there any desire to keep going to base camp and further? I'm very fortunate um, in many respects, I think, that, um, or my family are, that I actually um, discovered bushwalking at a later part of my life. <laughs> I started at probably around about the age of, um, of um, um, 38, 40, um, by which stage, you know, I, I tried a bit of um, rock climbing and um, and things like that, and loved it. But I just had passed that peak where I really would have been able to, um, you know, put my, my my most into it. So, because I I knew that if I had been able to, I would have um, found it very hard to give up. I really enjoyed that, and. Um, would have probably pursued it more actively if I'd done it from a younger age. Um, but then again, um, medicine probably wouldn't have allowed it and certainly it wouldn't have been good for my family. Is that part of what you do, how you approach things, that you're 
very committed to whatever you do? Yeah, as a real, um, as I said before, if I do something, I like to do it to um, the best. Um, it's got to be got to be finished. It's got to be done to the best that I can. That's um, um, always been the case. Um, so, um, yeah, it's. I think I would have pursued it to, um, and, and I think people who do, um, who are good at um, their, their sporting activities and things like that, you know, they, they're almost married to it. You know, you've got to you've got to have that degree of passion to actually be able to do that sort of thing. So, I've been lucky that I've tried lots of different adventure things um, and had indulged in it and enjoyed being exposed to it, but never being able to um, have the being able to take it to the extreme, you know. So the bushwalking came, you know, um, I'd, I'd be able to do a, a, a trek, you know, about every second year or something like that. You know, if I did some rock climbing, it was sort of, um, you know, with a group and we'd do it, you know, on, on a weekend that I had spare rather than sort of every weekend. Um, you know, I'd like to try things. I like to tick boxes um, and, you know, try things. I've tried a bit of caving and I've tried a bit of um, abseiling and... Uh, and um, I've even jumped out of an aeroplane with a parachute. Um, you know, I like to try these adventure sort of things to sort of see what they're about. But um, you know, you can't pursue them all. But I've been lucky enough to um, to try these things. Tried um, you know skiing, snow skiing. Love that. But again, you know, you can only do that you know once every couple of years as well. So I've 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 had a very fortunate um, life, and that medicine's given me the probably the financial sort of um, freedom to be able to pursue some of these things as well um, and to be able to share some of these holidays with our families, take our families to holidays um, that um, have been, you know, exceptional. So that's, um, you know, one of the privileges, I think, of also, you know, um, having done medicine. Are there any boxes yet to tick? Um well, there's still a lot of um, the world I haven't seen, so I would like to sort of um, tick the boxes of um, visiting a lot more, um, a lot more places. Um, what stands out? Where would you like to go? We haven't been to Africa, um, so we're, we have been to Morocco, but we haven't been to to Africa um, as such. To um, and that was on our um, short list this year. Um, sorry, not this year, next year, um, 2021. But um, that's not going to happen. So I definitely want to go and spend some time in, in Africa. That's a totally different experience to anything we've experienced before. Um, I'd also like to sort of do some more up in, um, in Norway, Finland and the like, and Russia. We actually had a, um, a trip planned to, um, to Russia um, which for this September this year. But of course, that was cancelled as a result of COVID. So we'll we'll do that some um, some other time. So why in Russia? Oh, just again, it's um, a different place, different culture. Again, there's some nice remote areas in in Russia as well that I'd be very keen to see. Um, so just because I haven't seen that um, part of the world. As you look back now and reflect on 40 years as a GP, what's the one thing that stands out for you? I'd have to really think about that. Um, I think, I think the thing that stands out is that it is. It's probably um, the privilege of of just being part of people's lives, um, and that every day there would be you know examples of you know times when you were included in something that you know you felt was very special. So, 
I'd have to count um, those opportunities of being part of people's lives, whether it be, you know, with um, newborns or whether it be, you know, helping a person, um, you know, leave leave this world, um, you know, as they were dying, and and that there's opportunities where you're you're included in their their lives, and it's very personal, and it's um, it's it's very raw sometimes, um, but. It's an opportunity that not everybody um, has, and I've always enjoyed that. So they're the they're the, probably the standout moments. If I really think about it more than anything else, it's it's just the many opportunities I've had to be part of um, you know people's you know very intimate life. Well, I'm sure from many people, thanks are in order, and congratulations on 40 years of commitment to medicine and your patients and enjoy retirement thank you very much Mike. rod day thanks for joining us over the bonnet thank you